Take your Bibles, please. iPads, iPhones, Androids, or if you've just memorized the New Testament, just bring up Luke 15 in your mind, okay? Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Luke 15, verse 11. All right, let's begin. To illustrate this point further, what is he illustrating? He's illustrating the heart of God. He's told two stories, one about a shepherd and sheep, one about a woman and a lost coin. To illustrate his point further, Jesus told this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and he moved to a distant land and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father, and I will say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer or, or even worthy of being called your son. So please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Notice one way to describe the son. A son who was dead is now alive. He's returned to life. And so I want us to pray right now. Lord, speak to us about what it means to be dead in sin and alive in you. Help us to understand through this story a greater perspective and depth of your love until we're overwhelmed by it. And our life is shaped by that love and transformed by that love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A man had two sons, a younger and an older son. And you see stories in both of them. You see a lot about the father. This lady was teaching her kids and says, as I read through this, you know, what are your feelings? Do you feel for the young son who rebelled? Do you feel for the older son who felt like the younger son was getting favoritism? Do you just feel sorry for the, the dad? And this kid raised his hand and said, I feel sorry for the calf. <laughs> so I, don't you love the way kids think? You know, you, you, you're thinking you're dialing them in now. Surely they're sorry. So as a pastor, I'm really not talking about the calf today, all right? I'm talking about the power of love that we see in the Father. Here's the context, all right? 
This young man went to his father and said, I would like my inheritance early. That would be the most offensive, humiliating, hurtful thing you could do in that culture. You read where a few days later the young man packed up and left. Why did he wait a few days? Because his father, who had a lot of resources, yet had to go and liquidate those assets in order to give the inheritance. He had to give the older son his share as the younger son took his inheritance early. And in the few days that it took for the father to prepare, the entire village would have known in detail of what was happening, knowing what was going on and that it is so unprecedented. In that culture, this was, again, the most humiliating thing you could do. He's basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. The village would have known this, and it's so unprecedented that the village would have been thinking of the custom that once this son takes the money and leaves, should he ever try to come home, it will invoke the ceremony that will indicate to him that he has gone too far and the damage is too deep and it's irreparable and that he is cut off. That, that was a custom in their culture. We're going to talk more about that, but now he, he takes this money and he goes on his own agenda, and the Bible says by his wild living, uh, his life in a spiral of sin ended up at the bottom, and when he ran out of money, a famine struck. Now, Luke is technical in the terms that he uses, and he says it was a great famine, not just a famine. Famine in that culture was devastating, but a great famine was brutal. And so here is this young man going through a great famine, which could have motivated him to go home. But knowing what would be waiting for him, knowing the ceremony that the villagers would invoke, meant that even in a great famine, though brutal, he didn't consider going home an option. So he finds a job. And the job is, is horrible. He's feeding pigs. He's so desperate that what he's feeding them starts to look appetizing. And he has a moment of clarity. And that moment of clarity, he comes to himself and, and he begins to say, you know, it would be better to risk going home and even what the villagers may do than to stay here because I'm dying Really, the only thing happening was his heart was beating, but he had no life. But here's something in, in even physical terms. If he goes home, the villagers in their anger going through this ceremony that he is cut off could move to the place of physical harm or even kill him. So he's thinking, if I go home, I die, but if I stay here, I die, and I have no life anyway he did everything he could to not return home, even though he wanted to. He did everything he could not to, but he became so desperate. The death process was so real that he was willing to risk it. And so he starts rehearsing this talk that he would have with his dad if he can get past the villagers. So he's on his way home. And what happens in his mind is the thought of this ceremony, and let me explain it. In Hebrew, it means kazah, to be cut off. And as he returned to the village, 
The villagers would gather, have him in their presence, a spokesperson would be appointed, and that spokesperson would take a clay pot and throw it down. It would break into pieces, and then the spokesperson would take one of the shards and point at the young man and say, you have gone too far, you have done too much, the damage is irreparable, and let this piece of pottery serve as a symbol that you are broken beyond repair and you are cut off. You have broken trust. You have broken community. You have broken the heart of your father and the heart of this village and there is no reconciliation available to you and let this piece serve as a symbol that you are cut off. Kezazah, to be cut off. A ceremony that happened throughout the Old Testament. You can see it in Deuteronomy, a Hebrew custom. And this is what is in the young man's mind, that if he returns, this is the ceremony that would be invoked to indicate that there's no hope for him. Broken beyond repair. Continue with the story. Luke says that when the father saw him, he ran. Culturally, you would never see the patriarch of the family running. In his authority and dignity, wearing his regal robe, he would never be found running, only walking, the walk of the patriarch. He's trying to think of some type of modern-day connection to this. And, and I recalled how John Wayne said in an interview that he never liked the way he walked, so he practiced for hours on walking. And it's called the John Wayne Walk. And you can Google the John Wayne Walk. Not right now, you bunch of sinners. Not right now. And, and videos will come up and articles because he practiced for hours on his walk so that he would be able to have this walk of strength. I've been practicing the John Wayne Walk. You want to see it? No. It's just not good. It's not cool. There's nothing. You would get no benefit from that whatsoever. But I want you to know that John Wayne, he focused not on running but on walking. Well, here's this patriarch in this culture who would never be found running. That would be seen as humiliation, as a lack of dignity, authority. And yet, when he sees his son, he runs to him. What are the reasons? One is because no matter how far the son had gone, the father still loves him. No matter how much pain he has caused, the father still loves him. No matter how offensive the actions of the younger son has been, the father still loves him. And because he understood the ceremony of Kezazah, he ran because if the villagers get to the boy before the father gets to the boy, it could be too late. So the father runs to him. He runs. He embraces him. 
As if to say, if the villagers arrive, anything they say or do will have to pass and touch me before it touches you. What are we learning about the heart of God and the cross and the love of Christ? Even in that one aspect, the father ran to him. And notice, the boy arrives expecting this ceremony to indicate there is no hope. You are broken beyond repair. You have done too much. You are cut off. That would be the ceremony. However, there is a ceremony, but it's just the opposite. The father says, get me a robe, a ring, and sandals. Tell the band to tune up. Get the dancers ready. Kill the calf. The one we've been fattening up because we are about to feast for my son who was dead has returned to life. Instead of this ceremony indicating that there could be no reconciliation, we get a celebration of a love so strong that it could look beyond the pain, the humiliation, and the offense and restore him not to a hired servant. No, he got the robe, the sandals, and the ring, which said to everybody, he was restored to the full rights of a son. Now that is the power of God's love, isn't it? The power of God's love. What's it mean to be dead in sin? This is one great description. It means to be broken. What's it mean to be dead in sin? To be so broken that you feel that No restoration is possible. Too many pieces. Too much water under the bridge. Went too far. The pain, the offense was too much. And there's no hope. That's a good description of being dead in sin. Your heart's beating physically, but there's no life. What's a great description of being alive in Jesus? Realizing there is restoration no matter how broken. I want to ask these cameras. Come in on just these pieces. And on the side screens, see the pieces. No matter how broken, what we're learning today is that there is power in God to put it back together. To put a broken, scattered, messed up life One miracle after another, restored and reconciled. That would be a great description of life. Repaired, rehabilitated, better than ever, reconciled. So what's the power to take you from brokenness to wholeness? What's the power that takes us from death to life? The love of the Father. It must be powerful. The love of the Father. You see, you and I read Luke 15, and to us, it's the story of the prodigal son. Sometimes people would focus on the older brother, and we're going to talk about him in the weeks to come. But maybe this is the story of the father who ran. Maybe then spend a lot of time on just how far the sun went and how much the village muttered and 
and how religious the older brother was and how humiliating his offense, maybe the point is not just his rebellion or the magnitude of his rebellion. Maybe the point of the story is not the prodigal son, but the father who ran. Maybe the real point of this story is a love so powerful that no matter how broken, there is healing and wholeness available. No matter how disconnected, there is restoration and reconciliation within the power of God's love. Doesn't our community need to hear this message? They know how far they've gone. They know how offensive they have been. What they need to know is their power greater than the power of the offense The distance, the disconnect, the humiliation, the addiction, the brokenness, the despair. And the answer is yes. Connor was three. We kind of started this deal where I'd say, Connor, I love you. And Connor would say, I love you more. I'd say, no, you don't. He'd say, yes, I do. I said, Connor, I love you to heaven and back. That kind of like, you can see, he's, he's just a little kid. He's like, what do you say to that? You know, like, <sighs> and I remember he did something that irritated me. And he knew it irritated me. And he looked at me and he said, you still love me to heaven and back? said, no, I'm hitting the street light. I said, oh, yeah. Yeah, I love you to heaven and back. Wish you wouldn't have done that, but it doesn't change the fact that I love you. That didn't diminish my love for you. The power of this story is that when the boy looked at the face of his father, the father who ran, the father who embraced him and kissed him. He dropped the part of his his talk that he had rehearsed about even being a hired servant. He did say, I don't feel worthy. But he, he dropped a whole section of the talk he had memorized. He saw the face of his father saying, yeah, what you did was wrong, but I still love you. And it didn't change my love for you. See, sometimes if we've cheated or stolen or slept around or just named the sins that began to create separation and despair and brokenness, which is what sin does, We start living with the sense that there's really no hope. Kez Zazah. We're cut off. And what we need to do is look back. Look look into the face of God. And I want to do that today. As this picture comes on the screen, look into the face of God. And I want you to make the connection now as the son comes back to the village, there should have been a ceremony indicating that there's no hope and that the damage was 
was too much. He had gone too far and he could not be reconciled. Instead, there was a ceremony that celebrated his return and documented not that he was cut off, but that he had returned to life. And there was a feast. And the only way that happens is because there was one who was cut off. For one of the most powerful sayings of the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross is when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The ceremony that the village wanted to happen, it happened. It happened at the cross. He was cut off so we could be reconciled. He was bruised so we could be healed. He was tortured and beaten and bloodied beyond recognition so that our brokenness could be given to him and we could receive a wholeness. I mean, this is unbelievable. The boy dropped the part of the speech that said, I'll earn my way back into the rights of a son because you can't earn your way into this. It's only by grace. It's only the power of love that can take you from death to life, from being lost to being found. Because of his death, we live. Because he became sin for us, we become the righteousness of God. Look into the face of God. God, are you irritated? Is there any hope for me? I I love you. To heaven and back. And it won't ever change. And I've taken every sin. I've paid the price of every sin and its consequences. I've taken the full impact so that the shame and the guilt can be lifted and removed. And when you watch the life of Christ, you see prodigals and prostitutes and the demon-possessed. You see these people, the tax collectors and the sinners, all of them being revolutionized, completely changed, restored and reconciled to family and community, all by the power of love. To be dead in sin means to be broken. To be alive means to be reconciled. The power from death to life is the love of a God who runs all the way to the cross. He takes our place. See, what he was saying in running to the sun is that if the villagers try to harm you, they'll just be harming me. I got you covered. If you're away from God, you can come alive. If you've sinned and you've really messed up, you can come alive. Whatever you've done, you can come alive today. That, that, that's our message. That's our theme. That's our passionate invitation to the community. As the lights come down, watch it one more time and get a greater understanding of why this is our message. There are people hurting in distress in need. This life isn't always what we hope. We have changed lives and we will change lives. Where is your life? The answer lies within your soul. Are you 
alive. You have to get real with yourself, come to God, and you can come alive. Before you're dead. A good man once told me, son, you better step up before you step out. In this life, there are no guarantees. Happiness and hope is a destination. Where are you sitting? Someone somewhere is going to take a stand. Will it be you? Will you take a stand? Will you step up and meet me at the assembly in Broken Arrow this Sunday and come alive? The young lady, she stands, she stands right in the midst of a full audience in this room, and everybody celebrated. Nobody wanted to know the backstory. Nobody wanted to assign judgment or blame. There was just celebration because one more person was passing from death to life through the power of God's love. I believe there are many sitting in this room today and you need to take that stand and you need to respond to the invitation to come alive. I'm going to give you that opportunity because this is such a profound day for you. This is your day. I don't know all that's been in your mind as it relates to the potential of changing I don't know at the very thought of changing some type of reconciliation that thoughts of hopelessness and despair and, and people being resistant to you and resistant to that very thought comes to your mind. And if that's the case, I hope that right now you see a whole different concept, a whole different truth. And I pray that that truth is bringing liberty to your thinking that the ceremony to indicate that there's no hope is not the ceremony that's about to happen. Because of what Christ has done, His love is about to create a party to where every, every angelic being of heaven will join in and celebrate at your reconciliation, your salvation, your life change. I'm holding these pieces, and as I hold them, I want them to represent brokenness that is going to be given over for the blessing of wholeness, death that is going to be exchanged for life. I'm going to pray here in a moment, and when I say amen, everyone in this room that says, you know what, I need life. I need that kind of help, that kind of power, that kind of, of hope in my heart. I'm going to ask you to come. Matter of fact, I'll walk the aisle with you. Everyone else will celebrate. Because most everyone in this room remembers the time when God took all the pieces of our broken, messed up life. And we gave it to him. And he doesn't just fix it and give it back. No, he gives us a whole new life. With your eyes closed in the presence of God, if you say, Ron, I so need life, meaning there's such brokenness in my life. I need repair. I need salvation. I need that kind of healing.
Would you just raise your hand right now? Say, that's me. Raise it, would you? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Oh, this is going to be one incredible day for you. Anyone else? You say, that's me. That's what I need. That's what I need. Come alive. Come alive. You hear the Holy Spirit saying that to you? This is your day to come alive.